What is Abe doing? He's yeah. fidgeting. Yeah. Rolling I have dice. some metal, metal puzzle pieces that I'm messing around with. I should put these away. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got the intro for your podcast. Apparently they're very loud, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of those, uh... Brain teaser puzzles. I have more. As he shows oh. us through see, see the sound. <laughs> see all these. This is cool because it's a it's a bolt, and you have to figure out how to get the nut off, right? So you want to like lefty loosey it, but it actually it's it's reverse threaded, so you have to turn it to the right. And there's this little hitch in it, so you have to like make sure it's lined up the right way, and then. Welcome to episode two of Expanding Horizons, the Horizons Monthly Book Club podcast. Uh, this month we read a couple of short stories. Uh, the first is called The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, and the second called um, The Story of Your Life by Ted Chang. Uh, joining me today, I have my good friends here, Abe. I will remember having had recorded this podcast. <laughs> Great. Uh, Caleb? That's uh, me. And we have Cassie. Hello. And Sam. I have nothing witty to say. And new guest here, we have Gail. Hi, everybody. So, um, I think the first thing we just wanted to talk about was um, the kind of experience we had in reading a short story versus a novel. A little bit different. Um, and, I don't know, I just kind of wanted to discuss like how how it felt different reading something that was so condensed. Yeah, so did everybody read it in one sitting? Like, each of the stories? Or did y'all break them up at all? The first one, yes. The second one, no. Yeah, same. I read each of them in one sitting each. I read them both in one sitting, back to back. Oh, wow. That's a lot of reading. Yeah. The lottery's so short, it doesn't add a whole lot to Story of Your Life. Yeah, but the Story of Your Life's like 80, right? Uh, I think it was 50. Okay. Uh, the lottery took me like 20 minutes to read, and Story yeah. of Your Life took me like two hours-ish. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, it was interesting to be able to get, like, I don't know, it was kind of refreshing in a way to just have that nugget and then move on with my life. Yeah, it's nice you can sit down and get a full story, even if it's not incredibly deep. Right. It's like a whole experience in one one go. Yeah, it's like watching a well, I was going to say a short film. That's a bad example. Like watching a movie instead of watching an entire season of a TV show. Yeah, yeah that's actually, a good actually comparison. Perfect. Yeah. Wow. I totally think differently. <laughs> <laughs> I thought both stories were left lacking because I didn't feel like it was a whole story, either one of them. There were so many more questions I had. Yeah, these two in particular, I definitely, I can see where you're coming from on that. Okay. And that actually makes a lot of sense because I think that's on purpose with these, though, also. Yeah, I think so. I think it fits both of their storylines to be that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's uh, let's talk about our first story, "The Lottery" by Shirley Jackson. Um, Cassie, did you want to go over sort of a quick summary and about the author? In my what was it, commentator voice? I'll say yes, mm-hmm. Alex. I'd love to. <laughs> okay, so Shirley Jackson wrote "The Lottery." 
back, I think, in 1964, but don't quote me on that. It might have been it before shows. that. Uh, yes, it does. So <laughs> Shirley Jackson is, or was, she passed away, an American writer known primarily for her works of horror and mystery over the duration of her writing career, which spanned over two decades, which I find impressive for a female author of the time. Uh, she composed six novels, two memoirs, and more than 200 short stories. Man, she only lived to, be, lived to be 50, so 20 years of writing is pretty good. Yeah, I can summarize the lottery so that we can talk about it. So this is my summary that I wrote. I will tell you that up front. The lottery takes place in a small town of about 300 people, and every year they have this tradition, or maybe a ritual, called the lottery. Each year, Mr. Summers compiles a list of every household and every member, and um Basically, to start the lottery, each head of household picks out a folded piece of paper from a box. Everybody holds on to their piece of paper and does not look at it until everyone has received a piece of paper. Then they open it up, and from the sounds of it, there's like a little black mark on it, and that means your family was chosen for the lottery. So then you repeat the process with your eligible family members. Um, so, for example, if you had a daughter and she was now married, she's not an eligible family member because she falls under that man's head of household instead of yours. Um, so you repeat the process and then whoever gets the dot the second time gets stoned to death. Um, and it is said that by stoning this villager to death, it can bring a good year for the village. You can compare it to like, didn't, didn't ancient Aztec culture used to actually sacrifice people? I guess they yeah, sacrifice actual people, huh? I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. yeah, they did. You play a game of soccer where you can only use your hip, and then the winning team is sacrificed. <laughs> so, I don't know how that works. Like, you'd have a lot of teams throwing, but... Well, I know... Throws. Well, I think that is one important difference between, like, that and this, is it's an honor, you know, to be chosen in that society, whereas this society, it's just like a an unpleasant duty that you have to do. Yeah. Did um I was curious, did did like the twist at the end where you find out that you finally find out the fate of the chosen person, did that shock anyone? Nope. It shocked me. Really? I knew the whole time that I was reading it that something was going to happen. Yeah. But I couldn't figure out what. Um, which is actually really impressive, or maybe I'm lacking in intelligence because she sets it up for you the entire time. Um, for example, in the very beginning, she talks about how the kids, the kids are, are playing picking and, and picking up stones and putting them mm. in piles and stuff. But like, she doesn't make it sound like they're doing a duty. She sounds like they're just playing and goofing around. No, it's totally like really well done. I, yeah. I also yeah. noticed that and thought it was really clever. Yeah. Um, I, I think tell... it's more. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, you. Well, I was just going to say, I could tell as I was reading it that something bad, like the lottery was a negative thing, but I couldn't figure it out. And I guess maybe because I would never stone someone to death that I didn't think about that being an option. Um, at one point, I thought maybe they're going to do like a wife swap type thing, and that'd be really weird. Uh, That's I don't hilarious. know why I that came to exact, my mind. I had the exact same thought. <laughs> wow. Because I was waffling a little bit. At the start, I was like, whoever gets, whoever gets picked is surely going to die. That was like my first... Inkling. And I think that's more of an indictment on like modern media than anything. Yeah. This, right. this was probably a lot more shocking back when it was written. Well, see, I, I didn't think anybody was going to die because of the way she started it. I don't know why, but it seemed more positive, like a kind of, I knew it wasn't going to be an uplifting story, but it didn't sound like it was going to go as deep as death. Yeah. And, and, and I, well, 
see i think that's what triggered me to it i think i was like okay this is like this is all painted like really positive happy um you know this nice event that's happening which probably means that somebody's gonna die you know what i mean like that's what led me down that road just the cynic in you but yeah and i think and i think like i was saying like modern modern media is like that's that's like every story nowadays it's like this more very dark um very dark scenarios at least every story that people tout as being really good, right? Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. know the lottery's good, and you go into it, and you're like, something's gonna happen, right? And the, you gotta have that twist. Yeah. So I have to admit, I did actually read this book a long time ago when I was a teenager, and I remember it sticking with me a ton because it very much surprised me. So, mm-hmm. like you said, going in this time, I obviously knew the outcome. So it was so crazy to see all the things that she sets up and all the foreshadowing that she does knowing what the end is you know so the rocks and stuff really stood out to me i'm like oh my gosh are you kidding me it's not cute kids playing anymore it's horrible kale you you had said the it didn't surprise you um either so we had some people that said it surprised them and then what what did you pick up on with that i knew that when the kids were picking up rocks that it was like they were going to use it for something because as i was reading the short story and maybe I just read too much. It was very Hunger Game-esque to me because you had everybody kind of who was excited about the lottery, but then this one person running around screaming her head off all the time, and it's like, okay, going to bite the bullet, you know? And, and so I'm like, you almost sacrifice one person, you know, from the towns to have a good year it's like an honor or something but this one person was like no 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 and she was just causing this big stink so i'm like okay not only are they going to kill somebody with those stones it's going to be this one <laughs> so. right so what do we think of the story overall did we um enjoy it or don't read this story while taking a bubble bath it is not a relaxing story <laughs> <laughs> I'd honestly say I've probably read a lot more horrendous things than this, so no, it didn't stick with me. It was kind of predictable to me. Yeah, so you thought it was just kind of like a throwaway thing? or Yeah, I just thought it was predictable, and I think if I would have read it back then in 1965, I would have been like, whoa. But something that, you know, Abe touched on, you know, the news, everything that's going on in the world now, it's like you kind of expect it to be like this. Yeah, because of modern day yes. expectations. Yes, but in 1965, I think it was a little more innocent, so this was a little more shocking. I actually have a slightly different feel on this because it did stick with me because of what's going on in the news today. There's one point where this character, uh, it's a couple characters talking to each other, and they're like, yeah, I heard they don't do this anymore in this area. Yes. One guy's like, oh, that's so dumb. Like, I mean, he doesn't say those words verbatim, but he says right. there's always been a lottery. Like, why would we change this? Like, these guys are trying to implement this change. I bet they want to go live in caves and stop working and like goes on all this thing. And it made me think about how now in our climate, there's so much change happening that we see this, this divide in mentality of these people who want to keep it how it is this way versus those who want to change it. And I cannot say whether or not it's a good thing to change it or not in this story. I have a, a opinion, but in the political climate, you know, I, I, don't know the future but it kind of stuck with me in that thought of don't be the person that just says no there's always been a lottery but more think more critically about it one thing i wrote down was what would have happened if one person would have just objected and wouldn't have thrown a stone like would have refused to do it 
what would have happened? Well, what if one person refused to take a slip of paper? Well, I think that's basically, you know, what was happening there. And, you know, everybody was still forced to take the paper. And you're right, Cassie, I agree. Some, it seems like, I don't know whether it's that they evolved and got away from the lottery or what, you know, but the, things were definitely changing in the world there. And so it's really interesting. We keep going back to that fact that this was written in 1965, and I really hope we have that date right. Otherwise, that's embarrassing. But <laughs> uh, everybody said four until now. It is right? 1948. That's what I thought. So it even was. longer. My so apologies. right after. See, I thought it was 48 wow. too. That's so, the reason why it shocked me. So it's really interesting era. to say, to see that she uses this fictional world where you know change is occurring and. Some people don't like it, and some people think it's a good thing to almost surely emulate her own world where people are resisting change for no reason or whatever she thinks the reason is. And then we're saying it's still that way today, so nothing has changed in the last – well, things have changed, but the fact that things are still changing and people don't like it hasn't changed in the last 60 years. Mm -hmm. Any other um, general impressions about the reading? I also, like Sam, read this a long time ago, probably back in like high school oh, really? or something, and I loved it then, and it's it's still great now. I like it a lot. It did stick with me a lot back then. I always remember, like every time I think of the lottery, all I think of is like the ticket with the black dot. That's like what pops in my memory, and I'm like, oh. Oh, really? That, the thing that, that pops sticks. in my memory is her begging them not to do it at the end. I just put myself in her shoes, and it just sticks with me. I'll yeah. think about this book for the next year or two probably yeah, i thought it was a nice like the other thing about it is it's so short so compact and there's not there's not a lot going on but there is um a fair amount of world building that's done in the very few words that are used which i thought was pretty well done and pretty clever and short time frame right like this is it's i mean 20 minutes yeah. maybe less mm -hmm. the whole event it is, yeah. uh, I believe, three hours, maybe two hours. It they said that says it starts there. at 10 and they'll be home by noon lunch. Yeah, it says it, the whole lottery is less than two hours. Yeah. And they're home for dinner, yeah. Noon dinner, sorry, that's lunch. And see, I'm so obscure that I want to know where the box came from. It's like, right. <laughs> and what happened to the old one? Yes. It's pretty great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they do take... Yeah, she does take the time to talk a lot about the box a lot, so that's and yes. chits and stuff. It's almost built like a horror story, right? Like the the dread the, is what makes a horror movie or a horror story good, right? And so you got to build it up and take a long time before you actually do the scary thing. So like that's kind of the the framework that she writes it in, but then everything's happy, so you're like confused. It it kind of like plays tricks on the mind. So do we have any, um, I know it's very short, so we don't have a lot of time to spend with the characters, but do we have any specific characters we wanted to call out? Old Man Warner drives yeah. me mad. He's yeah. the guy who's stuck in his ways and says that there's got to be a lottery. Literally, I wrote down two quotes, and they're both from him. And, and there's always been a lottery is the first one. And the other one is, lottery in June, corn be heavy soon. I guess that's his uh, reasoning for why he should keep the lottery around. Is... Good harvest. Yes, exactly. And 
like these these guys are also in the prime position to rig it so that they never draw the dot, right? Oh, like yeah, yeah, that, so that happens. That did not cross easy. my mind Me the first either. time I read it, but it crossed my mind this time. And it, you know, I just never considered it mm-hmm. last time. So do you think that that is something that happens? It's not, I mean, it's not hinted at even. Um, I just kind of thought they were my assumption. Yeah, I thought but they were exempt, exempt though. The, like um, Warner, there. I just thought he wasn't. I just thought he was like the mayor guy well, or whatever, and he's just not putting his name in. But if he's well, in- everybody pulls a slip though, right? Even mm-hmm. the guy calling the families to come grab yeah, one. Yeah, he calls his own name. Towards... He calls his own name. Walks over. Yep. But now that Abe said that, I I wonder if he did kind of rig it, maybe. Well, there's Ow. also another, sorry, there's a quote that the lady who screams her head off, I don't know what her name is off the top of my head, but she says, you didn't give him enough time to pick. And I was thinking, why does it matter? I mean, you just randomly pick. Right. But maybe, you know, maybe you can actually see the dot. No. I mean, that's what, or I don't know. It's like, just her desperate. Yeah. That's what yeah. I thought at first. But when you said something about rigging it, I was like, well, maybe that's one of the ways. And that's why she's yelling that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was weird, too. How would they really be able to rig it? Because don't they mix it all up like right at the beginning? And it's just a dot. It's not like they can't put their they don't put their name in or something. It's just slip. Well, but they could have a piece of paper that doesn't have a dot. Yeah, oh, you just could, in their you hand. Could palm it or something. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Okay, sure. Yeah, but it's you not know, it's anybody not, could do that, really. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not mentioned or explicitly said at all. This was just something that I just <laughs> a thought that I had. I mean, I think it goes back to the setting of. This is a small town where everybody's expected to, you know, behave mm-hmm. in a honorable way. The way the the uh, complaining about it's not fair, you didn't give him time to pick, came off to me was was just like the general misunderstanding that a lot of people have with how probability and statistics work, and how like. You know, I can see someone thinking, you know, we drew last, so we had more of a chance of getting the dot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I definitely thought it was just desperation when I read it. But when y'all mentioned that, I thought, well, maybe there's something to it. I think um, another interesting character is actually, like, the the husband of... Man, we need another character name. (laughs) (laughs) I believe Hawthorne. Yeah, like the, the guy that had, was an H. that had his family name drawn because he was like very stoic. That is Bill Hutchins. And he was like just telling his wife to just calm down, even though he knew like somebody in his family was going to be murdered, essentially. Like, Yeah, very dutiful. Very much just like, this is, we're just going to do it. Get it done with. And then also, um, what was his name? It was like Little Dave or... Like the youngest of his family. Yes. They said they gave him some pebbles. So like everybody of every age is throwing stuff at this person. Yeah. Also, what about the lady that grabs like the largest stone? It makes me wonder. Does she? It says she picks up a stone that's too heavy for her to hold. It makes me wonder if she picks it up so that she doesn't have to chuck it very far. Like so that if she misses, it's okay. She or this feel is too guilty. So, or this is the way to work out your aggression against your neighbors that you have like <laughs> right. awesome against, right? It's so, like, part oh, of I'm purge. so glad you drew. That. <laughs> so I said that the the, oh, no. the pleading and begging and stuff is the part that really stuck out to me. I actually looked up after I finished this book, 
and we, I was like, I think we got the wrong version because I thought there was more pleading and begging at the end because that's how much it stuck with me. That when I read it again this time, I was like, there, there's not enough of that. Um, but the most interesting thing is when I went to look it up and I was rereading that last section, is it just said, and then they were upon her. So it doesn't explicitly say that they stoned her in the traditional sense of throwing the stones. They might have beat her with the stones. Yeah, especially if a lady picked up one that was almost too heavy for her to carry. Yeah. That's true. I mean, someone does throw a stone in the traditional sense because it says a stone hit her on the side right. of the head. But yeah. you're right. It says they were upon her. like. Which is a much more brutal thing to imagine. Yeah. Or they just entombed her with stones alive. <laughs> I think I would rather just be beaten to death by stones. Oh, yeah, definitely stones. won't be pummeled mm -hmm. to death before being entombed. Um, we talked a little bit about setting already, but uh, I think Abe started to talk about this. Um, the word choices she uses for describing the small town atmosphere and like towns around them kind of a, it goes pretty far to establish um, what kind of place it is. You get a lot from these these people that are just like idly talking with one another um, while they're waiting for the thing to start. I feel like. Yeah, I think she did a really um, good job of building stuff in the dialogue. Yeah, they're like, hey, you know, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're, you know, and then the explanation tells you a lot about, um, or tells you some, some more about the town than you would have gotten otherwise. Um, and then we also talked about um, Twist at the end of the plot. Now, in terms of plot, that's that's most of the plot, I guess. That's really just a vehicle to get to the twist. But is there some thoughts about, like, did it immediately engage you, like, from line one, or did it take some time to get you into it, or things like that? Is there anything that's not super realistic, maybe? Well, so I was engaged by the title of the lottery, because I knew that there was going to be something interesting about this story. Um... Like I mentioned earlier, I didn't know what the twist was in the end, and still even like reading through it, I didn't quite get it until they hit her in the head with a stone. Um, I actually really felt that the characters were very believable, like their dialogue was realistic, and um, and by doing that, it set up like this actual realistic town and behaviors, and so everything didn't seem out of the ordinary to me. Gail, I know off of um, the microphone you said that you didn't really catch you at first is there anything particular about the writing style or um just like what was going on that you wanted to call attention to there no it's just like in the beginning as soon as the kids started grabbing the stones i knew what was going to happen i don't like it when i can predict a book it kind of loses me when I can predict it. So as soon as I ever got through reading it, I can understand, you know, her world building was great, you know, and, you know, the interactions with the people, the town, and so on and so forth. But I still knew what was going to happen. Right, right. And uh, just just knowing that kind of turns you off. I like a little bit of mystery. You know, I like to be surprised. I like twists and turns and and like I said, I don't know if I just read so much that, you know, I, I caught it right off. I, I don't know. Or if I guessed correctly, I don't know. Right. Yeah, well, I notice um, we'll watch a movie and you'll do the same thing. 
and and movies too if you under if you already know what's going to happen during the plot you kind of tune out yeah exactly unless it's like something that you don't know what's going to happen and then all of a sudden you're like hinging on every word of the characters and stuff like that yes absolutely right all right and finally um let's talk a little bit about what the author was trying to accomplish here like what what was the theme of the book uh i guess not a book short story um, and what was she trying to say about the world? I think it definitely has to do with the thoughts of traditionalism, like what you've done in the past is what you should keep doing versus the changing world. She, I think she hits on that a lot with the old man, with the other town that's getting rid of the lottery. So do you think that she just thinks that we should always be progressive 100% of the time, and that's why she made the tradition just something that's arguably awful to most people or do you like you know is what's she trying to say with that theme so i can see that that side of things um i also think because of the specific actions in the book that the theme could be something about um like a mob mentality or like uh humans willingness to be horrible to each other because everybody else is doing it um just like the the idea of like if there's no consequences and everybody else is on board then you can just be super mean to somebody and and it's considered okay i don't really know a more concise way to say that i agree with you 100 percent. i mean it goes with the quote that i said earlier lottery in june Corn be heavy soon. Basically, it doesn't matter what the consequence is. It's going to give, in their opinion, even if it's justified or not, they're going to have a good harvest by stoning someone to death. Um, sounds more like an excuse than fact, but we're educated people at this point. But don't you think by some of them mentioning how other towns have done away with the lottery, that they're trying to be more progressive and not want to stay in with doing the lottery and stay back in time they want to move forward so some characters do some characters don't right that's the the dialogue that she put in mm -hmm. but i think that's what the mob mentality though when you get the mob together because those few characters that said hey what about the other people that have stopped it in other towns then the mob mentality takes over right but but you're but you're saying in this scenario since they were the minority they went ahead and continued with the lottery well, yes, because they they did they couldn't stop it because but they it were the minority. But it could just as easily flip if the majority all wanted to do away with it. There'd be correct nothing that the the old hats could do to keep it. Correct. I think the mention of um, the other towns doing away with it lends uh, a lot to Caleb's ideas about traditionalism versus progressive mm -hmm. beliefs. Yep. Yeah, and I think she puts that in there. To make it clear that this isn't that you know this is Earth, this is the real world. They do have a choice of whether to do this or not, and there are you know other towns and other people. It's not like they have to do this because there's some giant worm god that'll eat them all if they don't. You know, it's like I think that's her trying to ground it a little bit more. Also, yeah, something to note actually is um there there isn't really any mention of them being like impoverished or being like in hard times 
it's not like this is like a desperate act. It's just like what they always do. Yeah. It seems True. very much like they're just perfectly fine. But this is how it is. There's also there's also this like um ends justify the means uh sort of mentality that they have. And and like you touched on, you know, keeping to tradition and stuff, but like one of the one of the lines at the end of the story is Although the villagers had forgotten the ritual and lost the original black box, they still remembered to use stones. So it's like, they weren't really clinging on to the tradition, right? Because they forgot the ritual. They don't have the original black box. But because they have this superstition, I guess, of, you know, the, the year of plenty, um, they continue to do this thing. That's a really good point, because actually throughout the whole story, they mention all these little parts of the tradition that they forget. Yeah. And so if you and it's think not about the it, chips, that... it's the paper now. Yeah. yeah. Man, so... that's a really good point, because if you parallel that to like the modern times, like we have a few times, it makes you think like we pick and choose the parts of, you know, religions and constitutions and, you know, history lessons that we like and you know, kind of leave out the rest. And we all do that, you know? So it's like, mm -hmm. I think that's what she might be alluding to there, that they actually, in some ways, enjoy this strange, scary thing they do. I don't want to go too far backwards, but I do want to mention, because we were talking about the mom mentality and the tradition. So I was curious, who was speaking up against this, the lottery? And it's Mr. Adams and Mrs. Adams are talking about how they, like, gave it up in the North and stuff. And then at the very end it actually yeah. says steve He's adams in was in the front of the crowd yeah. of villagers with mrs Good. graves you know so like even though he's speaking up against it kind of we were just talking about this earlier he's in the front of the crowd ready to stone this woman to death or beat her yeah. with a stone so which you know alex mentioned mob mentality and i think that that's exactly what happened yeah i i was just so curious if the person speaking up against it actually did anything with the stone in the end and He's mm -hmm. front of the pack, man. Yeah, you're 100% right, because there's no reason to mention that guy by name, um, except that he was mentioned earlier. Very tight story, all in all. You know, mm -hmm. like, I bet there's lots of things like that you can go and find. Yeah, so um, I think that's a pretty good discussion on the lottery. Um, real quick, let's just go around the room and give just a thumbs up, thumbs down if you'd recommend it. And uh, maybe some some closing general thoughts on if you liked it or not. Uh, I'll start with you, Abe. Yeah, I thought I thought it was really good. I would give it a thumbs up. I I enjoyed it, and I think what is sort of telling about it is it's really quick, and you can you know sort of get in and get out and read it. Um, but you could also spend a lot of time sort of like we did discussing and thinking about what it actually means. And I feel like you get a lot more meat out of it. So I feel like that's a, that's always a good hallmark of a, of a story and especially something this short. I think it's really impressive that, um, she was able to pull that off. Great. Um, Gail, would you like to give your final thoughts? Yeah. Um, when I actually first read the book and kind of thought, I know what's happening. I probably would have said thumbs down, but after listening to you guys and you looking at things totally different, you really made me think about a lot of different things. And so instead of me just thinking it's predictable, actually pulling the story apart piece by piece, 
you really get a lot out of it. I have to agree with you. So I'd give it a thumbs up. Wow. So changing minds. That, <laughs> yeah. that actually makes me feel good about the podcast as a whole. Cause I think that's kind of one of our goals is to give some insight into, into books that people wouldn't usually read or maybe try to change some people's minds on, on just reading in general. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. That, that's, that's really awesome. Um, Caleb, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it's really, really good. 20 minute story that tells, I mean, yeah, has a lot of critical stuff you can break down about it. I think that's super cool. Thumbs up. Great. Um, Cassie, did we hear closing thoughts? I thought it was a very interesting read. I'll admit it was a little slow for me to read because it's so descriptive, but overall I would give it a thumbs up. It was really good and really eye-opening. Great. And uh, Sam? Definitely a thumbs up. I mean, when y'all said we were reading short stories this month, I went in and submitted it immediately as my <laughs> top pick. I mean, it just, yeah, it stuck with me unlike any other story has. And I'm sure after rereading it again, it will haunt my thoughts for the next year or more. So, yeah, definitely a thumbs up. Makes you think. Great. And, um, yeah, just to give my thoughts, um, I I also kind of agreed with everybody here. It's very quick punch, um, cool twist, even if you kind of expect it. Um, or if you don't, I guess that's really cool too. Um, so I would also recommend it and give it a thumbs up. The second story we read is The Story of Your Life by Ted Ching. Ted Ching is an American science fiction writer. He um, His work actually won four Nebula Awards for Hugo Awards and the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer and for Locus Awards. Sorry, I thought I was done previously, but no, that is four, eight, twelve, thirteen awards. Um, some works of his include Tower of Babylon, Understand, 72 Letters, and Exhalation. The, again, the story we read was Story of Your Life. It is actually a short story that's a part of the collection of short stories called Stories of Your Life and Others. To give you a quick summary of the story, um, it is a story that's narrated by a linguist, Dr. Louise Banks, um, and it's written on the day her daughter is conceived, and it's addressed to her daughter. The story actually alternates between present and past and kind of converges to a present past, this will make more sense in a minute, uh, time frame later on. So the basic overview are aliens have come to Earth. She has been asked by the army to figure out what language they use to communicate, to figure out why they're even there. She gets uh, paired with a physicist, Dr. Gary Donnelly. Um, they work together to understand that these aliens, which they call heptapods because that she describes them as a barrel with seven limbs coming off of them. Um, their mouth is on the top of, no, sorry, their mouth is on the bottom of their body, not that there's really a top and bottom. Uh, and their breathing orifice is on the top. It's very bizarre. Uh, so anyway, she studies their language. She learns that they have a spoken language and a written language. And as she goes deeper into studying this, she learns that the written language doesn't actually follow... Um, like a, a time bound. Basically, at one point, there's this uh, physics, physics problem that's presented to the aliens to see if they understand it. And it is given to Dr. Banks. And what she takes away from it is that 
Um, in order for light to take the shortest possible path, it must know where it's going. Um, and so what she comes out with this is that the aliens know what they're saying before they say it, basically. Like in order to say what they're going to say, they have to know the end result. Um, so it kind of takes away time, so to say. And so why I'm telling you all this is because she starts thinking in this um, in this structure. It's like a nonlinear thinking structure. And so her mind starts like expanding uh into a sense that she now has the ability to see the future um, while also being in the present. So the whole story, um, as you're reading it, you realize that she's talking about the future while in the present, but it's kind of also like the past. Um, and so it's a very interesting time conundrum, in my opinion. So that probably sounds extremely confusing, but maybe through our discussion we'll kind of come to understand a bit of that more um we'll also say this this short story is a lot longer than the lottery um still a short story but you know probably at least four times five times as long so you get a little bit more time to kind of play with the idea that they're trying to go for um just uh first things first let's kind of get an idea of what people thought about the story Thoughts, impressions, that sort of thing. I don't know how many of us watched the movie, but um, that was based on this, which is Arrival. We didn't say, yeah. Um, this was one that I that I suggest we read because my my experience with watching the movie was just my brain exploding because I thought it was just this incredible film. And I think I have a little bit easier time with suspending disbelief than other people because I've heard other people say it was predictable or I didn't really like it. Um, but this was one of these movies that I have yet to rewatch because um, my experience the first time was so cool that I don't want to sully that. <laughs> um, so I was excited to read this story and, and um, I was a little bit worried that it wouldn't sort of live up to that feeling of the movie. And while I didn't get... Um, since I knew sort of what was going on, I didn't really get that brain twist since I sort of understood it. Um, I did think that it was really clever and it was a lot deeper in in its construction than I thought it was going to be. Paralleling on Abe's thoughts because I also really enjoyed the movie. Um, and because I, like, like Abe said, we knew what was coming kind of the twist so to say i actually felt like i got more out of it because i could actually understand what was happening so i really got this story instead of the twist i got to read this um very fascinating story of this woman and her child and just kind of her experience going through this alien language um so i i thoroughly enjoyed that and yeah, my initial impressions, I, 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 again, I also saw Arrival, the movie, and so my initial impressions, um, and I actually made a note that I liked this more than the movie. I thought this was much more personal, and uh, you got much deeper into what was happening with the psyche of this Dr. Banks as she developed this ability to see her entire life as one timestamp, one big picture all at once. So I, I I very much enjoyed it. 
I really like Arrival, and I also like this short story even more. Because I think it, I think it really delves into explaining how the sort of language works, and I think that's they do that way better in the short story than they do in the movie. I don't know if I can say which one I like better, but I do see that. Um, I, I did highly enjoy this story. I think mostly because of of the things that Cassie was saying, where I already knew the kind of the reasoning behind what was happening and why the word choice was the way it was. So knowing that going in, I can kind of just experience the story progressing. And it was really interesting to see like the specifics of breaking down the science and like the the symbols and like how the doc the doctor went about discovering the language. But yeah, it just it just kinda kept me engaged the whole time. Uh Gail did I think you kind of had an opposite reaction if I understand. Oh man, you guys got your work cut out. <laughs> I'm telling you. I absolutely did not like the movie. Um I did not like the book. Um I personally believe it is not because of the story itself, because I think it's an interesting story. You know, the aliens, um, the daughter's life. It's just, I don't have the patience with the tenses going back and forth. And I, I don't like it in movies. I don't like it in TV shows. I don't like it in books. I, that's just my own personal opinion. But the writing itself, structurally wise, was wonderful. You know, and the movie yeah. is a great concept, but it's, it's a personal, I think, choice for me. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. So specifically, it's 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 when it's switching tenses, like, past and, and tenses in time. So like, yes. if, if it's not like a sequential story. Yeah, because one minute I, I'm reading it and and then I'm like, oh, gosh, we're back at the kid again. OK, you know, and then you have to shift gears again and go back into your, you know, kind of science thinking of okay now they're back at you know the hexapods and they're trying to figure out what flapper's saying or whatever you know and it, I, I just I, I don't know i just don't like to bounce back and forth too much i kind of like more of a flowing type of story that's really interesting i think because that is essentially what the story is about right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's that's interesting i found when starting out reading the the story i would read the different tenses in like a different inner voice Mm. so to speak and then as the story went on i kind of stopped doing that and they merged into one voice over the different tenses and i I did find it frustrating at first did you learn heptapod b no (laughs) (laughs) but I, i i think it's written so well that it just kind of does that for you it is written very well i'm not disagreeing with that yeah, yeah. and and honestly what you said caleb is true you did get used to the going back and forth and if it wasn't for alex really saying you better read this i probably wouldn't have picked it up halfway through it would have been a dead issue but i persevered for him and it did kind of smooth out so to speak mm-hmm. yeah she's she's sitting here telling me she didn't finish the short story i'm like what how much did you read? She's like half of it. I'm like, come on. It's going to be like, it's going to be like 45 minutes of reading. And then you can be on the podcast with us. Like, <laughs> whoops. One thing that this one, one story that this um, reminded me of was, um, 
don't know if any of you have read the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin. Um, but in that book, she flip-flops between first-person, second-person, and third-person narration. Um, wow. And it makes sense when you get to the end of the book, but like while you're reading it, it is the same thing where you're like, okay, sec- we're in second-person now, so it's like addressing the reader. It's saying you and stuff like that. You're like, okay, now this part's in first person, you know? So it is an interesting book. I I, I think it is a little bit challenging to read um, from a few different perspectives, but um, yeah, I would, I would I would throw it up as like another weird, like playing with narration voice and stuff like that. So one thought on that, um, I was right before the podcast, actually, I read this almost a month ago now, but I was thinking about some of the quotes that I'd written down. And one thing I liked about this book is how it presented scientific topics and scientific ideas in a complex but digestible way. So it makes you feel smart as a reader. You're Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, I get this really cool physics concept. Even though you really don't fully understand it, you feel like you do, (laughs) you know? And so I thought that was cool. And I realized that, like, the main scientist in this book is a linguist and this guy is an author so in a way he is the main scientist of this story because any of the linguistic theories that he puts forward are stuff that he knows through his learning and his experiences with the science of words and i just thought that was really interesting to think about right and they they use a bunch of like big words that you don't know the meaning of really but through context you kind of understand what they're talking about right so it makes you feel better about that and then also like they specifically go out of their way to kind of not go into the, like the nitty-gritty of the stuff that would go way over people's heads like the the quantum mechanics of of the theory they talk about uh with the light what, what was that theory called the Fermat's principle or something like that Fermat's principle yeah the so that has like a whole quantum mechanical sort of study on top of it that they don't delve into at all this kind of give you the gist so yeah that's that makes a lot of sense so i was gonna say that i like as you keep reading they converge from being like in the present to the future but then i went back and looked and actually realized that the parts that are in the future I actually do read like they're in the future. I didn't even realize that when I was reading it the first time, I guess. Um, because, like, so I'm, I'm talking about the first time she talks to her daughter, um, so to say, in this journal of hers. The second time, I should say. Um, it says, like, the first, of course, will be the one from Mountain Rescue. And, like, so it's talking about in the future. I didn't even realize it was in the future because of the way it was written. Because later I wrote down... Um, I remember when you'll be a month old and I was so fascinated by that because of the fact that it was written in the future though she's talking in the present to someone who was just born. Anyway, I just thought it was very fascinating when we were talking about like the time period of it written, like how weirdly it flowed in my brain. Um, I don't even think that's the right grammatical way to say that, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird tense to parse. It's like a future perfect retrospective tense almost. Like <laughs> like remembering something that has yet to happen. Yes. And I, I just it captivated me because of this 
this time shift. So do we want to move on to like the characters of the book to, you know, uh, Raspberry and Flapper? <laughs> yeah, the two yeah. Oh, yeah, they were critical. They were the real <laughs> drivers of the story, man. Yeah, when I was thinking about characters, I didn't even consider them really. <laughs> Are you That's... kidding me? Really? Them. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. But let's let's tell everybody that Raspberry and Flapper are the names that Dr. Banks gives the aliens that she interacts with. Um, I don't think there's any reason for Raspberry, but the Flapper is because when he first starts talking, I say he, but it's a unknown gender. Um, when the alien first starts talking, like the mouth on top of its head like flaps funky. I don't mm-hmm. know. And I don't know how she got Raspberry, but it was pretty humorous. Probably just because it's just like this big bulb thing just kind of hanging there. Like a raspberry. That's, that's all these like legs, those seven, I think. Yeah. I figured it was because it sounds like flatulence, their language. Oh, like blowing raspberries like yeah. you do to a kid's belly? Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh. That is that really makes good. That's what I got from it. And she's a <laughs> linguistic person. Ah, okay. Hey, okay. did you say that? Yeah. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, wow. that's really good. So th- those two are definitely important characters. There wouldn't be a story without the aliens arriving. But so what are what are some of the other characters? I mean, basically, you've got the the doctor, Doctor Banks. Um, you've got Doctor Gary Donnelly, who is. The physicist that works with her, and then you've got like the the daughter, uh, the daughter. Yeah. Well, I guess. before we get there, because mm-hmm. that I think we want to talk about that. You were gonna say um, the military I was guy. Say the military guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so that that's kind of what the story revolves around is this short period of time that the aliens are there, the doctors are all working together, the military is there with its own agenda. But yeah, I mean, really, the story is story of your life, right? The story of your life, the life they're referring to there, is the story of the daughter that gets born from Gary and Luis, the two doctors that end up getting married and go and have a child together, and they end up getting divorced, and then I think we can spoil the the end of the plot but that we didn't really say, but the daughter ends up dying young, you know, in her 20s. And it basically the the mother's life fully encompasses the daughter and the mother can see her entire life at one time span all at one time, thanks to learning this heptapod language. And so that allows her to see her daughter's entire lifespan. And so I think that while the daughter isn't really in the story, except for a couple of lines of dialogue, it's really she's almost the subject of the story. Him, How did know. she die? Oh, uh, rock, rock climbing, climbing a climbing rock climbing incident. incident. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I guess thought. it is rock climbing. It's kind of in- implied, but mm-hmm. see, and that's what I was making sure. So they, yeah, she talks several times about like as she was growing up, she like tries to help her with the stairs, and the daughter insists that she can do it. And she's like, well, maybe me always being protective of you climbing is what drove you to go climbing later. So do you think that in the end that the characters were believable, that Dr. Banks was a uh, believable character as a linguist and mother? Oh yeah. I have a couple of quotes from her 
I believe she was. <laughs> the Very best, believable. The, the, she just has some incredible quotes. One of them is, uh, so I have a note here that well, I read this on November 2nd. On November 1st, me and Cassie had a discussion and we agreed to always give a reason for our rebukes and to never use the because I said so as a reason for children. And literally mm-hmm. there's a section in here where it says, but I'm not sleepy, you'll whine. You'll be standing at the bookshelf pulling down a video <laughs> to watch your latest diversionary tactic to keep you from your bedroom. It doesn't matter. You still have to go to bed. But why? Because I'm the mom and I said so. I'm actually going to say that, aren't I? God, somebody please shoot me. And I just thought that was so good. I'm like, so this is obviously something that lots of parents have wanted to do over time. And odds are we're going to fail at it, you know? And it's just really interesting to have read that right after we had that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, with some of the other parents that have probably experienced that. Oh, to weigh absolutely. In. <laughs> it's like as soon as something has flown out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm my mom. <laughs> and it's like I, I never wanted to be like that. And then so I had to correct myself. So, you know, it's like she was so believable. Yeah, I think – I guess to switch gears to a parent, this is like not not related to the story, but like kids just wear you down with why so much that at some <laughs> point you're just like because I said like I'm done with this conversation, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. That's where it gets for me. Like I try, like you said, I try to always give a reason and to answer the why question, but at some point you can't because it's just gonna that's gonna be the diversionary tactic yes. forever. It's gonna be you... but why? <laughs> Exactly. You know Alex, don't you, Abe? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I bet he was, uh, yeah. Yeah, the other quote I have here is, so a lot of times she wasn't very human. She's kind of like disconnected type of a person, just like overly analytical. She almost reminded me of Bones from the TV show. Oh, sure. And so I thought it was really interesting, though. She had one really funny quip where her daughter is like, uh, complaining about her father not giving her enough space, and he's and she says he wishes I was still a kid. He hasn't known how to act towards me since I grew breasts. And she says, "Well, that development was a shock for him. Give him time to recover." Mm-hmm. She says, "It's been years, mom. How long is it gonna take?" And she says, "I'll let you know when my father has come to terms with mine." And I just yeah. thought that line was so freaking great. It was, it very was good. like, oh man, favorite line of the book by far. Yes, I actually burst out laughing there. Yeah, I, I, I also agree that she has, like, this detached personality almost. And um, it reminded me a lot of the movie, because I think they, they pulled that into the movie really well. This, like, this person who just seems sort of detached a little bit from reality. Yeah, I wonder if that detachment comes from learning the language, or if right. that's a, she already has it or not. Yeah. I'm not really sure, I guess. Yeah, that's a really good question, Caleb. I don't know, because to me, from the movie and the book, she seemed detached all the way until the end to where she became human to me. Yeah, and she's detached before she even starts learning the language. Mm-hmm. So you think that she becomes more human and more relatable as yes. the story goes on? Yes. I just felt at the end, it's like she kind of had all knowledge and knew what she was looking at. So it humanized her more to know that she's going to go through all this suffering and she's going to accept it anyways. So because knowing that she knows the suffering to come and maybe that's the reason why she acts some of the way she does. 
mm-hmm. lends some humanity to her. At least that's that's what I think. I could be entirely wrong. No, I can I can see that perspective because somebody acting some some type of way and you don't know why. Maybe that doesn't make you think like like why would they act like that? Mm-hmm. It makes you think why would they act like that? And then you find out the reason. You're like, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Then you can relate. And then you've got you sort of have. You sort of have Gary, I think, on the on the other spectrum, which is great because they're playing these two characters off of each other. Where he's very much like, you know, he gives up on the on the heptapod language, and um, you know, he's sort of he's sort of more of a in the moment type character. Yeah, are you implying that you think Gary wouldn't have even enjoyed learning the language? Like, had he been able to learn it, you think it would have like bothered him to have that? I, I, yeah, like, I think he, he, I think part of the reason he can't learn it is because he has this disconnect, you know, and there's a lot, or, or there's an a excessive lot connection about. almost. Yeah, there's a lot to think about with this book. Like, there's a lot of really heavy, interesting topics about so the I don't future think and stuff. Actually, explicitly stated what happens. So, heptopod A is their spoken language, and heptopod B is their written language. And through their written language, they are able it it makes their mind work differently, where they see all of their life instantly at one time, even though they have to walk through it in a normal time frame. And so that's by learning the language, this human is able to experience life like that as well. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I, think I want it's... to clarify, though. The language is not what allows them to do this. Yeah. This is their alien brain. That's just how it works. And so they they feel that spoken language is too limited to I say one word and then the next, where their written language is kind of more of like a graphic. Like she makes a, a reference to the, the symbol that's a circle with a line through it says, don't do something. Um that it's more graphic in that nature where the longer the sentence, the longer the thought or whatever, the bigger the image gets. And it's one cohesive image, uh, which they do it that way because they don't want, like it's too wasteful to them to, to think in a like structured format, so to say. Some dialect. Yeah. 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 So it's not like the, it's not like the language is the key to, um, like it's not what it's, the language is not what what made the heptapods think this way. It's that they thought that way and came up with the language because they thought that way. Mm-hmm. And by studying the language, Doctor Banks is able to also tap into thinking that way. Well, I just want to compare it to the movie for a second because when I watch the movie, um, Doctor Banks learning the language. It didn't seem like the influencer for why she could see the future. And I might have just missed something in the movie. But when I was watching the movie, I got this impression that Dr. Banks took the time to learn the alien language so the aliens appreciated her. So they bestowed upon her this gift of future sight. Where when I'm reading the book, it's very clear that by her studying the language, her, her mind and thinking process changes to this non-linear structure, and that's why she's able to, you know, see her whole daughter's life before it even is, before she's even conceived. I think the movie tries to make that point, but I think it, because it doesn't delve into the language that much, it, it's a lot harder for it to spell out exactly how it works. That makes sense. Real quick on 
characters, I just wanted to call attention to the man. I forget his name again. The military guy. Mm-hmm. The basically like the third pillar. Um, is there any like why does he exist in the story? Kind of. <laughs> I think he is there to be the the just cynical utilitarian person. You know, Abe said earlier that Gary is a very real, lively person who lives in the moment. This guy lives in the moment, but only for the sake of gain, only for the, only to do what is to be done. And Gary wants to learn about the broader world and, and question things and see some wonder and see some mystery. This guy's not interested in mystery. Uh, so his name is Colonel Weber, and I think it's more than he's just not interested in the mystery. He He is your military man, and basically aliens have come. So first thought is, is this war? Are they looking to trade? Can we gain anything from them? I mean, he's there to provide a very militaristic viewpoint. Maybe this is what you're saying. See, I, um, thought, I thought he was there to keep them in line and pressure them to figure out what, what the heck they're doing there. I think from like a, you know, world building perspective, that's what he's doing. But I, I think Alex was saying from like a story perspective, what does the story gain by having this person who's very much interjected into the story and brought up multiple times and is a character? Comedic relief. <laughs> they, I mean, they do like, give him a really hard time. So I'm I'm looking because I wanted to find out what his name was. So the first line where you meet him, um, he's basically bringing Dr. Banks a recording. And she's like, well, I need to see them in person. No, you can only have the recording. And, and basically, he shuts her down at everything she says. But he plays this recording and she says the recording sounded vaguely like that of a wet dog shaking the water out of its fur. And he says, what do you make of that? And she's like, I withheld my comparison to a wet dog and then gives like her thought. But it's to me, that's kind of like the comedic relief because she's not going to tell him it sounds like a wet dog. But then, you know, you kind of get this like laughter. I laughed when I read that. I can only imagine, you know, a, listening to a tape that sounds like a wet dog shaking its fur. Right. Yeah, that that does kind of make sense in terms of, you know, why why his character would be included so much. Like maybe just to break up the the heavy stuff a little bit put a little bit of comedic relief in there and i guess it does kind of go back to what gail said of like this this story could just kind of drone on forever if he wasn't there to you know get him back on task every now and then even story-wise even right. um I, i'm just kind of looking through the things we're going to talk about and the next thing is the setting and he is the setting essentially like that like, is a really that, good point. That, that's what he is. I mean, he brings the setting to the table. The fact that it's a military base and everything has to go by him and all that stuff. Um, so maybe he just brings the setting. In terms of setting, is there anything specific about the setting that is important, really? So I, I just want to make one comment about the setting. This book is her journaling in the hospital right after she had her daughter and so in my mind whenever we would flash around sometimes i'd be you know sitting in a warm sun-drenched room with the smell of books and then other times i would be back in this military base and that was like in a way jarring but also 
like kind of kept a flow going. It was it was very like that's how my mind kept flipping back and forth as we jumped around was in the setting. Yeah. Um I didn't even really consider the hospital part when there was sections of the story. Like most of the stories being told in what happened in different places and I'm just in those places. Mm-hmm. Anytime she addresses her daughter, it pulls me back to parchment. I just I I am there with this handwritten journal and that's I am the daughter reading it whenever the do- whenever she addresses the daughter. At least that's what it was for me. Hmm. So having seen the movie and it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Um my setting took place where the movie was based out of like like that was my mental images when I bounced around like cuz I did bounce around like Sam is saying between I never bounced to the hospital except for the time that she mentions that uh her husband goes to get to the cafeteria to get food cuz I was like Sam never left to go get food. Um but anyway, the the point is that I did bounce around to these predetermined scenes that were given to me from the movie. Um, so I'd, it'd be really fascinating to see what that'd be like without having seen the movie. You know? Yeah, I mean, after seeing the movie, you kind of can't get away from that. Yeah, I was kind of bummed that everybody here had seen the movie, so we didn't <laughs> get any of those uh, views. Okay, and I think for me, even though I saw the movie, I don't know why, but I always saw you know, the, a plate glass window, but they were on the ground. And to me, I felt like they were in a tent and, and there were guards around the tent and, you know, the military guy would come in, you know, trying to keep them on task with everything for some reason. That's the reason why I, I, I don't know why I thought that, but I that, thought it was very accessible. Yes. And, and that's something that I want to point out that's very different from the movie because in the movie, they go up into exactly the spaceship and it has like upside down gravity and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And that's something that really struck me as different between this movie and that movie is or the reading the book and watching the movie. Reading the book, like I said a few times, to me it's it's a journal written to her daughter for her daughter to read, I guess. I don't really even know why she wrote it. But in the movie, I almost feel like it's just a generic action hero movie where the action hero happens to be a linguist, but you know, she goes up in this spaceship and explores this crazy alien. And then she learns how to see the future. And so she calls the Chinese prime minister and tells him not to go attack the aliens and uses this code word that she knows because she's going to learn it when she meets him at a gala way in the future. And it makes him stop it. And so she saves the world from, attacking these aliens and causing repercussions. None of that's in the book. Mm-hmm. It's just a story to her daughter. The book's almost like the antithesis to that part. Exactly. The book talks about all the stuff that happens in the future that she specifically sticks to and doesn't go and change. S- sticks to and it doesn't go and change. And it literally says, those who've read the Book of Ages never admit to it. Page 137. And while she might not admit to it, she in the movie she uses her power to change the world. Yeah. And I think it, like you said, it goes completely against what the book is trying to do. I don't know if it necessarily well, goes against it. it. It plays a lot on this idea of... of, like... 
time is a flat circle, you know, like um, where the the past is the future and and what happened has happened. So she she knew the code word to stop him because she was already in the future because he because she had stopped him and everything's connected. So it's not necessarily her changing things. It's just that's that's what happened. Yeah, there is no changing it because it's already written. It's already there. Yeah. It's it's all encompassing. But and but in the movie, she uses knowledge from the future to cause something to happen in a previous point in time, and that well, doesn't really happen in the book at all. And and while that in and of itself bothers me, it's really the scale that's so different to me. And I think they wanted to put it on a big screen, put it on a cinema, so the scale had to be bigger. Right. But they talked to these people through a TV screen, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, in the movie, the thing's like 700 feet tall. Mm -hmm. In the book, I don't know if they describe it, but I'm pretty sure it's in the tent. And it's just like, you know, a flat screen TV, 50 inches or whatever. Yeah, that's what ten, I mean. 10 feet tall and 20 feet wide. That's just a 10 disconnect. 10 feet tall, 20 feet wide. It's, it's just a, a big disconnect between yeah. written medium and, and visual medium because the... Like the movie poster and stuff, like that's an awesome visual. Yeah, and yeah. A, like a tent with a little screen, that's not cool. You know what I mean? No, definitely not. That's true. That's yeah. what I pictured. But was then, a pup like, tent. you know, she buys a a bowl that's gonna give her daughter stitches later. Like that, the scale oh, of that, that, the scale of that is so minor, right? It's it's inconsequential. She's not saving the world like she is in the movie. Sure. I just thought that was really interesting difference it's it's really the only difference i mean the whole there's a whole discussion about uh her trying to think of a word that her daughter asks her for yeah. a paper the yeah. zero sum non-zero game non-zero sum game and it that is like verbatim in the book and in the movie i think even with the same split isn't that scene sort of what we were talking about doesn't happen in the book though like she she essentially pulls that piece of information from a, a point in she the, pulls it from the past to give it to the it. future yeah. which is a little yeah. bit different yeah but that's she's, just she's memory sitting, in general but she's sitting in the hospital writing this in a particular time you're right about the future but she's pulling a piece of information from the past putting it to the future and then the writing present. about it in the present, which is the past of that future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think part of this goes to show that it's not that she thinks of it in past and future, though. Like, so it's she's writing this part of the future where her daughter asks her for a specific word. And um, at this point, the family's been divorced and daughter doesn't like dad for some reason. And so she doesn't want to call dad. And I think these thought processes trigger this other thought that she's having um, in which that's when dad says the non-zero sum game. Mm -hmm. And so then it like triggers the forward moving future thing. Like to me, it transcended time. I didn't look at it as past and future. It felt like one simultaneous event to me, like, like the, the present essentially. Though it's not in the present. Like she grouped all these time thoughts as one topic thought, almost. Exactly. Right. You just have to learn like, how to pop B, then you'll understand the whole story. <laughs> It'll just make sense. 
So were there any themes that people took away from this? Um, big ideas or takeaways? So, so theme. This is an interesting discussion about free will. Mm-hmm. And I think going, going back to the salad bowl, and that was like a key scene in the book because she knows it's going to be something in the future that would cause pain and she could avoid it by not purchasing it. But she has but to she purchase it, it. But she has to purchase it mm-hmm. anyway. Because knowing what happens doesn't change what happens. And you can't... So you can't change it. Or can you? Like, that's the thing, is like... Like, the, like, could she if she really wanted to, but she chose not to? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but I don't think she can. So I think that... I think they're going with the idea of... It is kind of free will, but only to a point. Like, if you know something's going to happen, you've already made the choice, because time is not what we think it is. Yeah, it's like it's almost like a like a duty. Like, like I maybe duty duty is a weird word to use for it, but it's like I understand the future, and because I understand the future, I buy this bowl because I know that this bowl is the one that falls and causes stitches, and because I know that I must buy the bowl. You know, like or else. Or else she isn't really putting things together the way she should be and thinking non-linearly, I guess. So there's actually a blurb on this in the book. Um, It talks about a woman who basically she finds the Book of Ages. So to explain the Book of Ages is the book that um, it records every event past and future thus if you read your life in the book of ages it would tell you what you've done and what you're going to do Um, so this woman reads this book um, and in it she finds that the next day or later in the day she's going to bet a hundred dollars on a race and win 20 times that much Um, and so the question is if she doesn't do it then the Book of Ages is now wrong, but the Book of Ages can't be wrong because of the fact that it it's the... It's the Book know. of Ages. Yeah, it's the, I mean, it's the Book of Ages, right? And so... Um, it just can't be wrong. Right. The fundamental law. And, By I mean, definition. It, yeah. So the Book of Ages, I mean, she even says, the result is a contradiction. The Book of Ages must be right by definition. Yeah, no matter what the book says she'll do, she can choose to do otherwise. So what's the question? What is the free will? Like, does it exist? So, um, I think that's a really good theme. I didn't even, like, think of that, even though there's this whole, like, miniature story within the story about it. Yeah, I I really liked that parallel. and But there's also the, there's also the thought of of um if you know what's going to happen in the future does that negate free will you know what i mean so she knows that the bowl is going to fall on her daughter and give her like require her to get stitches um but does that mean that she doesn't have free will (laughs) um and it doesn't because she bought the bowl 
She decided to buy the bowl. But did she decide to buy the bowl before she knew that it would give her stitches? There's a line, I'm trying to find it, but it talks about her buying the bowl and the fact that she felt like she had to buy the bowl. Uh, like she's compelled almost? Like Yeah, what is the word that she uses? She, she talks about her hand doing the action without her mind doing any thinking. Okay, here it is. Um, it says, I reached out and took the bowl from the shelf. The motion didn't feel like something I was forced to do. Instead, it seemed just as urgent as my rushing to catch the bowl when it falls on you. An instinct that I felt right in following. Right, so she's not forced. So she does have free will. But yeah, she's but still going to do it. Yeah, it's almost a reflex. It's, yeah. it's the way it is. Like, we have the choice to fight back a reflex, but we don't. Well, that all goes to say the theme could be about um, free will and if it exists or it doesn't. There's yeah. probably a few others. Yeah, the other one that obviously popped out to me based on the quotes I chose was that this is the second month in a row where parenting was a heavy theme Yeah, in the book. I think um, just, I know it's a story about a linguist, but communication is a huge theme in the book, I think. Yeah, not, yeah. Not only with the aliens, but at one point they mention how speech can perform actions that otherwise can't be done. Like oh, you promise yeah. somebody to do something. Yeah. That's not something you can do without speech, right? Yeah. Or communication. Yeah, way. it's a really good one. Like, you're under arrest, and I christen this vessel. Yeah. The quote is, uh, do, 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 do. For such acts, knowing what would be said didn't change anything. Every year when I at a wedding anticipated the words, I now pronounce you husband and wife. But until the minister actually said them, the ceremony didn't count. With performative language, saying equal doing. And that's kind of what I was getting at earlier with this is his science. This is Ted Ching science. You know, not this isn't Banks talking. That's Ted Ted Ching showing off. Right. <laughs> kind of piggybacking on communication is the idea of um the whole reason that she gets she gets the heptapod powers or whatever you want to call it, is because she in in an attempt to be able to communicate with them he's trying to understand how they think and you know even just within the same language that's a really important part of communication is understanding where the other person's coming from and what they're you know how they perceive the world will will tell you a lot about the person and and how to communicate to them or with them right which is interesting yeah and that kind of goes with like the sergeant he didn't care what the aliens yeah, thought, yeah. or he just presupposed that they thought like him, that they wanted something that they could be traded with. Um, Gail, did you have any different thoughts on the theme, or maybe just can confirm maybe what we were thinking as well? I think everybody was pretty much covering everything pretty well. I guess the other thing on theme on theme that the the movie hammers on a lot more than the book I think does is the thought of um if you know if you know how something is going to turn out does does it make it worth is it still worth doing you know what i mean so mm -hmm. like 
um, I know that we're going to have a daughter and she's going to die. Is it still worth having a daughter type idea? Yeah, and the same with getting divorced. Yeah. Man, it's weird, but that's how I think about dogs. <laughs> it's like dogs' lifespans are so much shorter than humans. So whenever I think about owning a dog, like would I be able to buy one knowing that 10, 12 years down the road, I'd have to say goodbye. I feel yeah. like you don't, you don't, you might probably not think of that about that when having a child because it's assumed that your child's going to outlive you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought about this question. Would I still have Caroline if I knew that she was going to die at the age of 25? Because um, I frequently thought, like, would I still give birth to a baby that I knew was going to die within a couple years? And I struggle with that one a lot. I'll be honest with that. Like, it, it is such an emotional process to bring a child into the world. But if I know that she's going to have half or a quarter of a life, you know, I was thinking about it, I was like, yeah, I'd still definitely have Caroline. Like, like even though I saw, like, if I could see in the future that Sam and I were going to get divorced, that Caroline was going to die young, um, it wouldn't change what I did now. I mean, that would just might be my perspective on being a parent uh, at this moment in my life, but it was a very interesting thought. Well, being a parent, too, and... Having the children and everything, there is no way I wouldn't do it, knowing everything. I I mean, there's just no way. I would absolutely do everything the same way. Something that really drew me into this short story is the way that the writer tells the entire story of how time can be perceived this way and puts that into the style of writing with all the different jumps and the way it kind of merges towards the end into feeling more fluid as it goes on. Because there's like those sections where it jumps from past to future to past immediately and it's kind of still a congruent story. It still makes sense if you read them all as if they happened in that order. Yeah, like where she's in she's in the meeting, right? And then she has a flashback to somebody and then she flashes back meeting and um, they ask her a question. She's like, sorry, I was... I was uh, distracted or something like that. Yeah. I I think the writing is so well done in that way. I also just want to expand on that, that the parts where they flash to different periods of time are actually like visually segmented out. Um, There's like, there's large gaps in between Mm -hmm. the paragraphs. Um, And also when the flashbacks or forwards happen, they're relevant to the, current like what you perceive as current um time yeah. period so so that also like i'm agreeing with caleb here that i really like how it's done it that for me the flashes feel more expanding on the story than a nuisance or just trying to explain some idea that she now has this you know uh, i keep calling it a non-linear view because i can't think of anything better to call it um but i i too really like the way it's done it's interesting to note that there's spaces in between the paragraphs and the jumps, but no header. It doesn't say like 1942 at the hotel. You know, it just says it just goes right into the next action. I don't know that they ever mention like a unit of time. Really. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 25 years, I guess. Cause that's how long a daughter lives, but that's, that's like it that I can think of. Right. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't ground it anywhere in the world. It's kind of right. interesting. Yeah, so I think that's a pretty good segue into just our closing thoughts. 
Um, just once again, go around the room and uh, kind of give your overall feeling on the story. And if you'd recommend it to someone else, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, let's start again with, let's, let's go backwards. Let's start with Sam. Oh, exciting. Uh, so, summary of thoughts is I definitely thoroughly enjoyed the book. Um, you know, I thought the the writing style itself was fantastic. The jumping around was just, it's so natural. It just, I didn't even really notice the fact that we were jumping all over the place because it just seemed like the right way to read this story. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's great that my child is out of the gnome-like phase and now into the Cherubic. That's a that's, quote that's, from the that's book. That's a quote from the book. I was trying, <laughs> don't worry about it. Anyways. Yeah, got rid of that cone head. <laughs> yeah, it says your face will be all red and pinched, puffy eyelids squeezed shut. The gnome-like phase that precedes the Cherubic. Anyways, uh, I'll definitely give it a thumbs up. <laughs> all right, uh, Cassie? So... When I was reading this story, I was very compelled to continue reading it, um, and it made me remember what it's like to read a book that just catches you. Um, and I realize that's different from for everybody, but for me, this book just, you know, I was immersed. I wanted to be there. I wanted to know more. Um, so overall, I would give this a thumbs up. Great. Uh, Caleb, your thoughts? This is uh, probably my favorite short story ever. I have to think back wow. on all of them, but... Yeah, the way that the author fuses the structure of the story and the the actual plot of the story, I think, is just so good. So yeah, definitely thumbs up. All right, and um, I know the beginning uh, thoughts, uh, Gail. You said that just sort of the structure was kind of uh, throwing you off. But anything we say here, turning around this time, or are you still nope. on that side of the fence? Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I kind of kind of thought as much that we wouldn't be able to change your mind with this one, but. Yeah, now, go ahead and give us your closing uh, thoughts here. I mean, what is so horrible is I, I feel so bad because you guys love this book so much. And literally, when I'm reading it, my Kindle is dropping because I've fallen asleep. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't grab me. I, I, I just can't. I didn't like the way it was written, even though the verbiage is great. Don't get me wrong. But everybody seemed to really like the tenses and how it flowed and to me it was so choppy so i guess i'm missing something and so i'm gonna have to give it a thumbs down i don't think it means i don't think it means you're missing something i think it's just um you know we all come to it in a different light and enjoy different things so it's perfectly valid yeah we certainly didn't have a agreement on the last yeah we were split month, jury right? so. split jury on uh, the first girl child for sure yeah, last month was a little brutal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were very adamantly against that book. <laughs> yeah. All right, and uh, Abe, do you have uh, some closing thoughts? I, I really enjoyed it. I think I think it's a thumbs up for me. Um, I I also like this idea of playing around with tense, and I'm I'm the kind of person that also doesn't. I I'm sort of picky with i really prefer third person past tense narrative like if i pick up a book and it's written in like first person or present tense or something it's a lot harder for me to decide i like it um but i didn't feel that with this and i i have a feeling it's because i 
watch the movie, so I was giving it a little bit more of a shot. The difference with this one is is he plays around with it so much, um, using this weird like future perfect present, but also past tense um, stuff that I think that engaged my mind in such a way that it didn't bother me as much. But yeah, I definitely would recommend this short story, and like specifically if someone hadn't seen Arrival, I would be super interested in their thoughts on this story and you know whether they they have that moment of oh now i understand what this is what's going on you know i didn't really get it before but i'm starting to understand now um if that if that sort of breakthrough happens during the written story and i also have to say um on gail you said that your kindle was dropping because you were falling asleep i was also falling asleep while reading this book because i was reading it in bed late at night and uh I it was I, I often do this with books where I will read to myself to sleep essentially and I'll fall asleep while reading and I will read through passages in this like weird half sleep trance state where I don't really understand what I'm reading and then I'll fall asleep and like transition into a dream that's related to what I read so I was having some really trippy nights <laughs> for a couple nights with this book Man, that sounds like a good time. (laughs) I I can relate. I do the same thing. (laughs) So, yeah, I will agree with um, probably most of the people here that I I found it very interesting. Um, It seemed to catch me right off from the beginning, and I just kind of powered through it. It was was a really good quick read, Um, and I'd recommend it to anybody, really. So, thumbs up. Uh, Actually, knowing Gail, I probably wouldn't have recommended it to her. (laughs) To be honest, just knowing what she's into, but yeah, um, most for the most part, thumbs up. So yeah, that was episode two of Expanding Horizons. Um, next month we are doing drama. Uh, the book we are reading is The Beekeeper's Promise by Fiona Valpi. So check back next year on the first of January. Until then, back to you guys later. Are we done? This episode was edited by me, Alex McCoslin. Other voices include Abe Wolfgang, Caleb Juno, Gail McCoslin, Cassie Stanage, and Sam Stanage. Look for our next episode on January 1st when we'll be discussing The Beekeeper's Promise by Fiona Valpi. And be sure to check out all of our other content over at wherethehorizon.com. You're also in the video games, be on the lookout for our special edition of The Forecast, where we name the Horizons Game of the Year. That should be coming up shortly, and we'll record the whole deliberation process. So tune in to hear us fight about why everybody else is wrong and has bad taste. So once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next year in 2020.